Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Oh, that looks beautiful from here, Neil. It has a stark beauty all its own. It's uh, like much of the high desert of uh, the United States. It's uh, different, but it's very pretty out here. On July 21st, 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin touched down on the lunar surface with only seconds of gas left in their lunar lander. The astronauts on the moon and everyone at NASA's mission control let out a sigh of relief as the engine shut off and the lander settled on the ground that had, until then, been disturbed only by meteorites. The lander's onboard camera turned on as its door slowly opened, showing the iconic, grainy image of Neil Armstrong climbing down the ladder. And as television screens across the country were showing these historic images, as radio hosts were relaying the information, as the world was watching these men making history, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were looking outward, with crystal-like clarity at the moon itself. The moon is, is not like what you see when you're standing here looking up at it at night. It's not all shiny and white. It's actually fairly gray. Um, the horizon is very sharp between the gray surface of the moon and the black sky at night. Uh, and even during the day, the sky is black. Uh, there's no air there to scatter sunlight. So the sky is always black. Before the mission, they were able to run simulations of piloting their spaceships. But one thing they couldn't possibly prepare for was just how different things would look when they're in the vacuum of space. So, you know, a rock 100 miles away looks just as sharp as a rock in your hand. There's no air there to fuzz out the details. So it is disorienting and alien and the fact that they were able to do this at all, where you know, everything was sort of stacked against them, even their sense of perspective, is, it's amazing. It's a triumph. It was a triumph, not only because it happened, but because of how fast it happened. It was only seven years before that, that the challenge of landing on the moon was a pipe dream. Just words spoken by a president who wanted to put forth an impossible challenge to his country. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. It was a because triumph that, that 2,500 days after JFK challenged the United States to land on the moon, we did. 
But even after all that time preparing, even after all the simulations, after three days of flying there, after a day of trying to land there, they barely had any time at all to stay there. They were on the moon for less than a day. When I say they were on the moon less than a day, I mean from setting down the lander on the moon to lifting off again was less than a day. They were outside on the surface of the moon walking around for about two and a half hours. And so, being the men of action that they were, they didn't hang around to absorb the sights. They didn't marvel at the earth above them or the moon below them. They got to work. They collected their samples. They took their pictures. They set up some scientific equipment. Um, Neil walked over to a nearby crater. He wasn't supposed to do that, but he did it anyway. And I don't blame him. I would have too. And throughout all of their time, moving around on the surface, somewhere between walking and leaping in the lower gravity, they were laying footprints on the surface of the moon. The surface of the moon is covered in this dust. The technical name for it is regolith. And he could feel this this crunchy, grinding regolith under his foot. This is lunar rock that has been broken down into tiny microscopic shards by the solar wind, by thermal changes. The day and night temperature shift is so big on the moon, it can actually crack rocks and break them down. And tiny little meteorites hit them all the time, little micrometeorites. So the grains of dust on the moon, when you look at them through a microscope, look like shattered glass or volcanic ash. While NASA knew that the moon would be covered with this jagged, ash-like material, what they didn't expect was how detrimental it would be to their final task on the moon. So during the time that NASA is planning Apollo 11, they realize we should plant a flag on the moon. And while it seems like a trivial enough job, there are more than a few complications. you got to realize, too, there is an outer space treaty signed in the United Nations that says that no one can own the moon. You know, you can't claim sovereignties. Just like the flag on Mount Everest doesn't mean someone owns it, the flag on the moon wasn't intended to represent ownership, but rather to celebrate accomplishment. But there was another issue they realize, you know, it's not that easy. This thing has to travel to the moon. It's got to be in a vacuum. The only place to mount it is on one of the legs on the lunar module, on the lander. Well, this thing has to withstand the heat of the engine blasting out as they're about to land on the moon. It's like 2,000 degrees. They were able to figure out how to pack the flag in a way that it would survive the vacuum of space in a container that would protect it from the extreme heat. They designed it so it could be deployed easily, even with the spacesuit's bulky gloves. And they worked with the UN to make sure that the world knew that the United States was not trying to take control of the moon. But after all that, they forgot about one thing. And right away they have a problem. The lunar regolith, the grains of, of dust, this is broken down, eroded, rock on the moon, tiny, tiny microscopic grains. They are so sharp and so jagged that they don't compress. You know, sand on, on the earth, if you try to try to grab a metal pole and, and 
and hammer it into the, into sand, it'll go right down in because sand grains are relatively smooth. This stuff ain't. This is really, really sharp, nasty looking stuff. And so as they're trying to get this thing into the surface, they get it down a few inches, just like three, four inches. And the dust starts to basically stop them. They can't do it. They're hammering, they're, they're wiggling this thing back and forth. And they're like, yeah, we can't, we can't get this thing any farther down. So they kept the pole where it was, lodged a few inches into the surface of the moon, and hung the canvas flag, stretching it out across a horizontal bar and letting the wrinkles mimic the effect of it blowing in the wind. Pictures were taken of Buzz and Neil setting up and saluting the flag. Pictures that have become iconic and symbolic of accomplishment. With the flag planted and with the challenge of conquering the moon completed, Buzz and Neil made their way back towards their module, turning their backs on something they were convinced would not only stand as a symbol of their country's achievement, but would literally be standing until the end of time. They climbed back inside the cramped module. They began flipping switches to ready their ascent back into the moon's orbit. And with the push of a button, explosive bolts that had held together the two parts of the module, the section used to land and the section needed to depart, blast open, separating Neil and Buzz from the now dead weight of the lunar lander. As they began to slowly rise from the surface, the regolith around their module began to fly outward and upward, covering the horizon lines around them with a gray dust, blurring the clear distinction between the black sky and the moon's surface. Even with all of the calculations they had to pay close attention to on their ascent, Buzz Aldrin took one final look back at the moon. A final goodbye to the astronomical feat he just took part in and at the flag that he helped plant as a testament to it. Buzz apparently looked over at where the flag was and said something to the, uh, to the effect of, looks like the flag got knocked over. This flag had survived leaving Earth's atmosphere and orbit, survived three days racing across the vacuum of space, withstood the heat of an engine landing on the moon, and after all that, it finally succumbed to a bit of exhaust from the ascent module leaving the moon. After everything that had been accomplished on the Apollo 11 mission, the imagery of the lone American flag staked in a crater on the moon turns out is actually wrong. Because as soon as Neil and Buzz flew up off the moon, the flag fell down. There's probably uh, uh, some interesting symbolism in it getting blown over. You know, they just, they planted the flag too close. This was just a thing that happened and it got blown over. It's just another in a list of things that shows you, we did not 100% know what we were doing. Um, this is exploration, uh, white knuckle, seat of your pants, 
not everything is understood sort of exploration, pushing well beyond um, you know, what we were capable of doing when we started off designing these missions. And then by the time we did it, we did it. After years of running numbers and tests to make sure everything was exact, no one could have predicted that one of the hardest parts of the mission would be planting the American flag. It was a seemingly trivial act involving a $5 flag against the backdrop of a multi-million dollar mission. But as the flag fell, it served as a powerful, humbling reminder of the vast, unknown frontier that Neil, Buzz, and Michael had the privilege to explore. This has been the second of five special episodes from Sci-Fi Wire celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. If you like this story, please remember to subscribe to Revisiting Apollo 11, Five Untold Stories, to hear the other stories we have to tell, wherever you get your podcasts.